Okay, let's pray. <laughs> Jesus, we've already talked. I need you, and you are the one that told me I needed you. So I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you will just lead and guide me, that I can see you all the way through this, and that I follow everywhere you go. In Jesus' mighty name, give ears to hear. Amen. Amen. I, I, I told them in the back room that I looked at the Lord and said, if you don't put oil on this, we're in trouble because I can't do this without you. And he said, I know I'm the one that told you. <laughs> I thought, oh, yeah, you did tell me that I can't do anything without you. So I guess it's up to you. So... Um, Rick has been, for a while now, talking uh, about declarations and, and decreeing and, and speaking what you want to see and where you want to see your life going. In the meantime, Kevin um, got a word, that, as you've been hearing, that honey is the new wine. And uh, so when he was preaching um, two Sundays ago, he held the Bible up. It was such a good message, but the one, you know how there's a message and one thing will just stick out. And so he held up his Bible and he said, pray this, this is going to start dripping with honey. And I went, that's mine. I want that. And so, um, and then, then I was reminded um, that he also said these two things. Um, I might forget the second one, but uh, the first one is that that um, the enemy is going to, uh, in Israel, during this time of Samuel, um, to let you guys know where we're at, we're in 1 Samuel where Jonathan is fighting and, and Saul, and the, the, Philist, the uh, Israelites, they didn't have any weapons except the tools that they used to garden with. And so they were, uh, they were taking their tools to the uh, Philistines, and they were sharpening them. The very tools that they ended up coming back and destroying the enemy with. The Lord says this, and I'll say it again, and we heard it. Let him sharpen, let the enemy sharpen your tools Amen. so that you can turn around and nail him. Amen. Yeah, it's so true. And yeah, yeah. What does that mean? It means that the, the places that are hard, the, the things that God tells us to do, if you lay it before the Lord, uh, the, I mean, or, or how do I want to say this? The enemy will come in and you'll think it's the enemy, but the, the Lord's saying, no, I'm going to use that to sharpen you so that you can turn around and nail him. The other thing that was said is that uh, when Samson was going uh, down to see a girl that he shouldn't have been seeing, there was a lion, tiger, whatever, along the road, and he ripped him apart, killed him, because he was attacked. Samson killed him. And on his way back, there was a bunch of bees that made a beehive, a honey, honey. And so he was able to stick his staff or whatever in and uh, eat of that honey, and he also was able to give it to his family. We heard Kevin talk about this. I'm just going to repeat this. 
which means this. The enemy's out to kill you. Have you noticed that? But the very thing that he wants, that the enemy wants to kill you with, if you will hand it to the Lord, if you will give it to him, the, the Lord will turn around and kill the enemy with it. And then you, you, specifically right now, you, all of you, will end up feeding someone else with that honey. It's, it's a concept. It's, it's excellent. There's, there's oil on that. So, so I just, it's like, oh, Lord, this is so good. has nothing to do with what I'm going to share today, but it's really good. <laughs> I wanted to remind you guys of this. So rewind a few months ago, um, well, last, last year, last February, I, no, I, it's been a while, hasn't it, that we went through this book. Rick, Rick taught out of it. If you don't have it, you really should get it. Declarations for Breakthrough by uh, Jane Hammond. And um, he, he taught out of it quite a bit, and um, we made declarations. We've been declaring and decreeing, and um, it was good. And we decided at Tuesday night we were going to study it. So we go through the whole book, and we study it, and um, we get through all of that. And Jeannie Bramer says to me this fall, we had stopped for women's tea and said, hey, can we study the book Breakthrough? I said, yeah, I don't, I don't see why not. You know, I don't have anything right now on my, my uh, heart, so we'll do that. So we start opening the book, and we start doing it, and then we're sick, and then there's Christmas, and pretty soon there's, oh, month, a month, I think, between when we started the book and, and now. And quite frankly, I didn't want to do the book anymore. Did you ever get there? It's like, yeah, it was good for then, but I, I don't know if I want to do this. And so... Um, I thought, ah, I committed to it. I'm going to have to do this. So it was getting to be a little bit of a hard time to get in it and to do it. I like, I like to be able to teach something that's alive in me. And, and so um, I went, okay, Lord, I'll do this, but boy, this is hard. And so the week before last, I taught. It was good. Got some stuff out of it. I couldn't feel oil on it, you know, but it's the Lord's teaching. And uh, so <laughs> last Wednesday came along, and... I went, oh, I've got to read the chapter of this book and teach out of it. And um, I said, Lord, if I'm going to do this, you've got to give me something out of it. No kidding. I broke into this chapter and talk about honey and oil on this thing. It just ministered to me in such a way, and I'm going to teach on some of that this morning. So it's the book of Esther that we're going to be going through, and um, it was so it was so sweet that when I was done teaching the class, or before I even taught the class uh, that morning, the Lord was revealing so much out of Esther to me that um, 
I was impressed to call a woman that I really don't know very well. I know who she is, and I've said hello to her, but I've not really talked to her. And uh, so I felt like I was supposed to call her, didn't have her number. But later that day, I did call her. I shared what I'm going to share, a little bit of what I'm going to share with you today. And it ministered to her greatly, Michael. Thank you. It, it really had, uh, it did what it was supposed to do. So, here we are in Esther. Everyone knows that Esther, the, the thing that comes out of Esther is, how do you know that you're not chosen for such a time as this, right? How many times have you heard that over and over? How do you know that you've not been chosen for such a time as this? Now I'm going to ask you guys, how do you know that you haven't been chosen for such a time as that we are in, because we're in some pretty rough times. Amen? And so uh, as I began to read, um, I realized and found out, again, I mean, I've read this book over and over in Esther 2.17. It says that she was loved more than any of the other virgins. So the story goes that Vashti uh, rebels against the king. You all, you all know it. I don't want to get belabor that. So they got rid of her. They're looking for a queen. And they, they are pulling the beautiful virgins. Esther lives with her cousin Mordecai. He's raising her. And so I'm going to paint this picture. So he's raising her. One of the qualities of Esther is that she's obedient. She listens. She does what Mordecai says. And so she is now taken into the king's harem, and they're going to decide whether who's going to be the next king, queen. Now, now that looks, I remember thinking, oh, the little kids, you know, she could be a queen. Well, that's not as wonderful as you think it is because if you're not picked, you get stuck with a bunch of concubine women and you're left. It's not that great. It really isn't. And so, so we find out that Queen Esther goes. It's said that she's loved by the king more than all the others. <laughs> Do you know that that can be said about you? Everyone individually, that you are loved by the king more than any other. That's what the word says. So, we go into this, and Mordecai, this is an interesting part. Never really looked at it like this before. But you'll find that Mordecai begins because of Esther. He could have done this before, just doesn't say. But now he stands at the king's gates every day. Stands at his gates. And he's putting his ear to listen to what is going on and how Queen Esther is. So he's listening. He's, he's uh, one to hear what is going on. And so Mordecai is before the, the king, I mean the king's gates, and he hears 
that two guys are mad at the king and they're going to assassinate him. And because he hears that and because Esther's uh, in the, you know, as a, the queen, he sends word and says, warn the king. And so she does, it's thwarted, and no one pays attention. He doesn't get honored for it or nothing. It's just, you know, he does it, the, the king lives, and life goes on. But in the meantime, Haman takes over this place, and he becomes high up in the king's uh, eyes and position. And so Haman is proud, loves his position, and he goes and uh, the king writes a decree. Never really thought about this either. He writes a decree and says everyone that it's in the king's gates in that area, you're to bow before Haman. This was a decree from the king. Mordecai will not bow. He won't bow. It's a decree from the king. Can I tell you, when I was looking at this, I went, my gosh, we're at the same place. We are in a time where the government wants us to bow to things that is against our king and his kingdom. Mordecai refuses to bow, and this ticks Haman off. And so he goes to the king, and he sets a plan in place. And he says to the king, hey, there's a group of people out there. They're going to cause you problems, and we need to take them out. The king goes, really? doesn't really think about it. Well, you, you know of somebody out there? I mean, that's basically if you'd look at this conversation. And Mordecai, I mean, in Haman, says, you know, what do you think? Can we take him out? I'm paraphrasing. It's like I think we should. And so he, the king, writes a decree to annihilate, to give uh, the Jews, to give Haman the right to do this. Now, I'm not telling you guys anything you don't know right? But we're going to continue to be reminded of our position. So the, the edict goes out and this decree goes out and everyone knows that in, in uh, media Persia that when the king makes a decree, it doesn't get changed. It's solid. Gives, gives Haman the signet ring, puts it on there, this is final. So Mordecai hears of this. And I thought, well, this is interesting. Never thought about this before. But because of Mordecai's disobedience to uh, bowing before Haman, because it was against him, because Haman was an Amalekite who, who was an enemy of the Jews. And so therefore, it was against God for for Mordecai to bow to anybody but the Lord and, and to bow to this man, and he was an Amalekite. And I never thought about this before, but his actions caused the rest of the Jews to be in trouble. People right now that are worshiping and standing against abortion 
are looking at, six people right now, are looking at 11 years in federal, the federal um, prison because they worshiped and as a protest. Do you understand that our decisions can not only affect us, but other people? But to not make that decision for what is right is quite wrong, whether it has an effect on the person aside, beside us. It's something we've got to really consider in the days that we're in. Count the cost. Look what we're up against. So I, I saw that and went, wow, I never even thought of that before. So Haman is so excited, and this is so important to him because he's going to get Mordecai and the Jews that he actually casts lots to find out when the date is. That's why it's called Purim, because it means cast lots to find out the month and the day when this is to take place. He is so thrilled about this. He is flying high. Well, in the meantime, Mordecai ends up hearing this news, and he doesn't just, he doesn't just give in uh, to this. He rips his clothes, puts sackcloth sack and ashes on, and he wails, God! He's going, do you hear, Jews? We're going to be annihilated. He's not being quiet. He's not. Are you hearing me? He's not being quiet. Huh? At the king's gate. Yeah, amen. At the king's gate after the decree of what the king said. And he wails. Esther finds out, and she doesn't know what's going on. You know the story. She finds out. She, she says to her people, go out and find out what is going on. He's wailing. What is, what is happening? And so, um, chapter, turn with me. Okay, wait a minute. Okay, turn with me to 4.11. Let me read this. It's too good. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that for any man or woman who comes to the king to the inner... Okay, wait a minute. I went... I'm sorry about that. He cries out, he says to these guys that go out to find out what's going on, you tell Esther that she needs to go before the king, okay? And it goes on to say, all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that for any man or woman who comes to the king to the inner court who is not summoned, he has but one law that he put to death and he be put to death unless the king holds out to him the golden scepter so that he may live. And I have not been summoned to the, come to the king for these 30 days. I went ahead of myself. Here's what was going on. Mordecai said, hey, you tell Esther. She's got to go in before the king. She's got to go in and find favor because they're going to annihilate us. Esther returns with, whoa, 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 whoa wait a minute. 
I can't go unless I'm summoned. And by the way, it's been 30 days. Now, I have read this year after year after year. I read it all, you know, different times. I've read it quite a bit. Never did I think this. But I'm sitting on my couch, and the Lord is just speaking to me, and I went, how would I feel if I hadn't seen Rick for 30 days, and he hasn't summoned me? Women, how do you, how, can you agree with me? I wonder what I did the last time when I was with him that he didn't want me to come in. I wonder if he's ticked at me. Did I say something wrong? Anybody, any lady relate to that? wonder why he doesn't want me. Oh, there's a concubine that he really likes. <laughs> Seriously, wouldn't you think that? Because the same demon that is on my shoulder, shoulder is on hers. How can I go in? Why, why? Oh, my gosh. What would, oh, I know. I, they say he loves me, but there's all these other beautiful women. And he hasn't called me in. And I don't know if he would want me again. Does this make it real? It did for me. Because I realized that she's a woman. And the enemy was alive then as he is now. And it would, she would begin to hear the negative feelings and thoughts of why she's not being called in. Now she's asked to go in. Now, wouldn't the enemy really have a heyday on that? Yeah, right, Esther. You're going to go in there. You're going to get killed. That's what she would be told by the enemy. Don't you even think about this. Why? Because the enemy is the one that's after the Jews in the first place. So... He's going to be constantly in her head. But she decides, okay, well, let me go on. Then Mordecai told them to, to reply to Esther, do not imagine that you in the king's palace can escape any more than all the Jews. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, and you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. How does she know that, that the king doesn't know that she is a Jew? How does she know that when she found out that the king gave the decree that he might be tired of the Jews... Or that he finds out that she's a Jew and she's been, he's been deceived by her. Have you thought of that? I never did. How does she know these things? But Mordecai's going, listen, it is up to you to go in before the king. Because we are going to be killed and don't think you're going to get away with living. And then you would live under the thing of, do they know that I'm a Jew? Who's going to tell on them that I'm a Jew? Oh, my goodness. And so there would be this battle. I'm going on with this because it's just, it just fascinated me when I thought of this. I thought, oh, these are some of the thoughts that I didn't think about. So then, so then we go to this place. And... 
Esther says, okay, I'll go in. She says, okay, I'll do it. So we know the story. Esther goes in, and she has wisdom. She sets this up, and she sets it up that she's going to invite them to dinner, the banquet. She does. She brings them in, and he's, he's kind of excited. I mean, when you read it, you go, whoo. He still has feelings for this lady because he's like, hurry up, let's go. I mean, that's what he says. I thought, oh, my gosh, hurry up. Come bring quick, bring Haman quickly. The queen wants us. I thought that was interesting. So they go in and they have the dinner, and he's like, What do you want, Esther, up to half of my kingdom? She said, Well, will you and Haman come to a banquet tomorrow that I have prepared? And then I'll tell you then. And it's like, Okay. Haman's like really riding high. He is right up there. And so. He takes off, and he's like, I'm the only one the Queen Esther invited in, me and the king. Until he walks out and sees Mordecai sitting at the gate. Ticks him off, and he's bitter. And he says to his wife, this got ruined. I've got invited. I'm the only one that got invited. But man, he's like, and the, our language, dang. Mordecai is still sitting there, and he won't bow to me. Let me throw this out to you. Has life gone good, and the Lord is for you, and you're feeling this, but there's one person that doesn't care for you? Has it messed you up at any time? Has it taken your attention off of the Lord? Seriously. I looked at that, and I went, isn't that interesting? This happened to me. I don't know about you, but it's happened to me, unfortunately. And so we let everything be ruined by one person that may like us or may not like us. It's not, doesn't matter when we're doing the king's business. And so Haman is bitter, and his wife says, build some gallows, and before you go to dinner with Esther, Hang Mordecai on those gallows. Oh, that's a good idea. Not a bad idea. Good way to start a morning out. <laughs> it's like, let's get rid of him. So that's what happens. He goes in. He gets the gallows ready. He walks in. Okay? He goes in. Let me find this. It's so funny. Um, well... Let me go to this. During the night, our God has a plan. Got a plan. He shows the king what Mordecai did. And so Mordecai, the next, I mean, Mordecai is to be honored, but Haman doesn't know it. So he, Haman comes in. You know the story. Haman comes in, and he thinks he's the one that's going to be honored and so he gives this grand thing of what should be done, and he's got to do it to Mordecai. It's pretty bad when you have to honor your enemy, huh, in public. But then he goes home and tells his wife what happened, and she said, you're dead meat. She did, paraphrase, you're dead meat. 
You're done for. Okay? Get rid of bitterness if you have it. I'm telling you. I don't care how long it takes you. I don't care how long you have to sit at the altar. I don't care how long you have to go at this thing. Get rid of bitterness. It'll take you out. And so, he gets back. He's called to the banquet. And then he finds out that Esther is a Jew. And she tells the king what is going on. The king is so angry that he walks out. When he comes back in, Haman is begging for his life, right? He's begging for his life. And the king thinks he's fallen on the queen. And, oh, right now, you're, you're done for. He takes him out and hangs him on his own gallows. Moral of the story, the enemy will die on his, what he tried to take you out with. Again, you will feed. So, but this isn't the point. I tell you all of this just to give you background. <laughs> just to remind you of this thing. Turn with me to chapter 8. When I read this, when I looked at this, this really ministered to me some of the stuff that Jane Hammond had said. Jane Hammond had said, the word intercession describes a prayer or a petition in favor of someone else. The person who intercedes acts as a go-between to help solve a problem. It also describes someone who intervenes to bring help. The word intervene paints the picture of true intercession. It means to come between opposing sides, to jump into the middle of something, to interfere, to get involved so as to alter or hinder an action through force or threat of force. In other words, an intercessor gets in the way and interrupts the devil's plan. This is exactly what Esther did and what we are called to do. I don't care how bad, how horrible it looks. You're called to jump in the middle of something, to intercede, to stop the plans of the enemy. This is what we're called to do, okay? This is such an excellent, excellent picture of the kingdom of heaven, the king, and, and what he wants you to do in it of intercession. And so we find that Esther intercedes, and so what happens is her intercession pays off. It doesn't look like it's going to, but it pays off. But here's what I didn't see that we all know, but let me just put a little bit of, let, let the Lord, let the Lord put oil on this. I go to chapter 8, okay? And so on that day, King Ahasuerus gave the house of Haman, to, uh, uh, the enemy of the Jews, to Queen Esther and Mordecai, came before the king, for Esther had disclosed what he was to her. The king took off his signet ring, 
which he had taken away from Haman and gave it to Mordecai. And Esther set Mordecai over the house of Haman. She got her enemy. They got their enemies spoiled. Okay? Then Esther spoke again to the king, fell at his feet, wept and implored him to advert the evil scheme of Haman, the uh, Agagite, and his plot, which he had devised against the Jews. The king extended the golden scepter to Esther. So Esther arose, stood before the king. Then he said, if it pleases the king, she said, if it pleases the king, and if I have found favor before him, and the matter seems proper to the king, and I am pleasing in his sight, let it be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman, the son of whatever, the Agagite, which he wrote to destroy the Jews who are in the king's provinces. For how can I endure to see the calamity which will befall my people, and how can I endure to see the destruction of my kindred? So King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther and Mordecai the Jew, Behold, I have given the house of Haman to Esther, and, and him they have hanged him on the gallows because he has stretched out his hand against the Jews. Now, here's what I want you to pay attention to. The reason I want you to pay attention to it is I believe the Lord is speaking to us in this house at this time. Now you write to the Jews as you seem fit. In the king's name and seal it with the king's signet ring for a decree which is written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's signet ring may not be revoked. Do you hear what I'm telling you? You, you, you Write a decree in the king's name and use his signet ring to seal it. Because you see, the king couldn't change it, but you had the ability to write and declare a decree that can change someone else's life. How do I know? Because Jesus said... In my name. In my name. We have a signet ring. He's called Holy Spirit. He's called Holy Spirit. Second Corinthians 2. Let me look. I think it's 2... I have this written down. Ah. No. Sec um Is it Second Corinthians, First Corinthians? Oh yeah, it is Second Corinthians one. 19, for the Son of God, Christ Jesus, who was preached among you by us, by me, and Silvanus and Timothy, was, was not yes and no, 
but is yes in him. For as many as are the promises of God, in him they are yes. Therefore also, through him is our amen to the glory of God through us. Now, he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God, who seal, also sealed us and gave us the spirit in our hearts as a pledge. I have heard it taught that it is an engagement ring. We have the word, we have the Holy Spirit, and we have the, the, the Lord wants us to, to decree his word to allow these things to go out so that things in people's lives can be changed. We need this. It's important that we intercede that we don't give up, that we don't get lax, but we do the intercession that God is calling us to do, to stand in the gap. When I read this out of Esther, I didn't realize that the king told them to write the decree. I hadn't paid attention to that. I thought the king did it. But it wasn't the king. He gave the authority to her. Jesus says to you, ask whatever you will, and it will be done for you according to my Father in heaven. In my name, what do you do? Cast out demons, heal the sick, raise the dead. Freely you have, freely you re, you know, re, you've received, freely you give. And so here's this beautiful picture of a kingdom and a king. And we've got this, and Jesus is saying, Write the decree. Now, you've got to know me. I hate writing. And so when I read this book, and at the end of it, they'd say, she'd say, write a decree. And I'd think, forget it. I ain't writing no decree. You know, it's like, I'm serious. It's like, I've got to, I'll just do it on my own. Oh, I'm going to decree this and that. It's like, okay. But I get done reading this in the morning, and I, the Lord said, write a decree. Write a decree over our nation. Father, I come before your throne where I find grace and favor and mercy upon our nation against the plans of the enemy to create a civil war. Because that's what we're looking at. May you cause your church to have eyes to see what the plan of the enemy is. Grant, I pray, that his plan be thwarted in Jesus' name. Have you noticed that the church is divided? Have you noticed it? The Pope just said that the priests can marry gays. Have you noticed it? I go, oh Lord, not only did he say that, I used to be Catholic, so I'm not against the Pope, but not only did he say that, but he is saying that the Ten Commandments are, ah, you know, they're not that important. I read that and about flipped. We're divided. The church is divided. Not only is the church divided, but there's the, 
the government, the, the, the um, what is going on, the abortion issues and, and the, the wall issue and, and I, all this stuff is just, and did you notice they want us divided? It's just they're constantly putting stuff out to divide us, to divide us, to divide us. We're to intercede. We're to intercede. Rick Joyner had a prophetic word. I'm not even sure when it was that civil war was coming. Um, Troy Brewer, who studies numbers also, um, saw and has been prophesying civil war is coming. Okay? Actually, they're also saying war in 24, whether it's civil war or if you've noticed out. I mean, right now we're divided against in the church whether we should be for Israel or against Israel. Have you noticed? What is our stand? What are we to be doing? We're to be interceding because the enemy wants to kill, steal, and destroy. And we need to pray and to intercede for our nation. Um, I wasn't going to do this, but I th I'm, I'm going to do it anyways. Um, I, I like to watch Troy Brewer. He studies, he studies numbers and he's prophetic. And um, in 2017, I, I think it's a solar, right? Solar eclipse comes through and it starts in Salem. Oregon, and it goes all the way across the United States, and it goes out, get a load of this, Fort Sumner, which was where the Civil War began. In, 2000, in this year, in April 8th, another eclipse is coming. This is unusual for the United States. It is coming. It's going to come in at Eagles Pass. Does anybody know what's going on in Eagles Pass? There's a lot of problems going on at Eagles Pass right now. It's going to come up through, and it's going to go out uh, the northern part of New England, and it's going to crisscross the other one at uh, Little Egypt. And he said, if you really look at it, it's got a road called Salem, and actually the first one, seven states, every place that solar eclipse, the shadow hit, was Salem, a town called Salem, Salem all the way across. And interesting. Peace. Peace in the midst of this. Peace that we will stand in a place of intercession and peace and that we can thwart some of this stuff that's going on. He lets us know ahead of time so we can thwart it, so that it can be changed, just like the decree that was in this thing about Esther. The Lord doesn't want civil war. He doesn't want war in, at all. Right? Chris, it's horrid, isn't it? It's terrible. And so we're called to intercede. We're called, we're called to intercede on a, 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 a personal level. We've got friends and family sick or go, going through struggle. 
The enemy's trying to destroy them one way or the other. And your job is to intercede and write decrees that will stop a lot of this stuff that's going on. I want to go, are you hear what I'm telling you? <laughs> there's, this, there's, this, there's this thing that I go, oh, Father. Oh, Father. Hmm. So, I'm looking at this and I'm going, we've got a solar thing that's trying to come in to our land. Lord said, write a decree, Phyllis. Stop this stuff. I'll listen to you. You've got my signet ring. You've got my name. Let's stop some of this stuff that's going on. I, I'm just like, oh, Lord. Then, then Jane talks about the divine reversals that take place. But then there's a releasing of a sound that comes with all of this. A sound. Don't just sit. Sound off. Speak it. Declare it. Shout it. Shout. It's like there is a sound to victory. There's a sound to battle. We need to make the sound so that the enemy will be shaken. That's why I have you guys shout. It's important to shout. It's important to speak out. It's important. I, I, I used to blot red if I ever got up in front of somebody. And, and I couldn't shout or do anything, but I practiced. I practiced so that I can shout so that I can rejoice, that I can rejoice in the Lord because we're to pray and rejoice in everything. These things are coming. We are in the midst and then we're to be interceding and then we're to be rejoicing because he says rejoice, what? In the Lord always. And again, I tell you, rejoice. Rejoice. If you're in a battle, rejoice, the Bible says. Because there's victory coming. There's victory coming. So I just want to close. I usually say, does this make sense? But if this didn't make sense, I'm in trouble. <laughs> if there's anyone in here that's in a battle that needs us to wail and cry out. To use our signet rings. Then I want you to come up. If you're in a battle, if you need help, if you, need, you know someone else as well that needs help, then come up. We give you thanks uh, for meeting us here, Lord. 
And like Ed said, if we, if we just lift up our heads and look, we feel his presence. And we see him, we feel these encounters. I have a testimony about honey as well. <clears throat> An encounter that uh, Pam and I had this week. We started a thing on January 1st, um, a, a, a workout routine. And I used the word workout pretty loosely. We call getting dressed in the morning a workout. <laughs> but we started this thing and, and we keep adding to it and we take weights and, and do different things. Uh, but it's basically we're just walking around our house. We go around our living room and around our dining room table in the kitchen and around the island back in the living room. And um, well, the cool thing about it is we've incorporated our prayer time with it. So we've, we're up to about a half hour a day, and we're praying for each other. We're praying for our family and for the church. So it's been a long, sustained prayer time that has been really good. We have a theme each day or a scripture that we focus on, and Pam's been focusing on the attributes of God. And so she got up Friday morning and uh, she uh, did a post on Facebook about grace. And she said, we're going to focus on grace this morning. So we're, uh, you know, marching around the house and we're uh, praying for grace. And we're even singing Amazing Grace. And uh, this goes on. About 15 minutes, we, we, we stop halfway through and we do the stretching. And, and so we're, we're stretching and all of a sudden this picture falls in our, uh, in our kitchen. Pictures never fallen in our house before. and um, So she goes in uh, to pick it up, and she says, oh, my God. And uh, I, I figured it broke or something. But it was just a canvas, canvas picture. But on the picture, uh, it says, Amazing Grace. And uh, so we thought it was such a, such a cool thing. And then it was honey. And then uh, on top of this, I'm doing this Bible study on the side with Alex, and um, the topic wasn't grace, but on uh, this particular day, the pastor was talking about uh, Samson, and I thought that was cool because Kevin had been talking about Samson in his message, and my take on Samson is, you know, he was arrogant, lustful, greedy, he didn't, didn't acknowledge God or didn't seek God's wisdom in the decisions that he's made, and this this led him to be deceived and to be captured by the Philistines and had his head shaved and his eyes gouged out and shackled and all these things. And, uh, but the pastor in, in this Bible study was talking about grace and he quoted uh, Judges 16.22 and it said, but then the hair on his head began to grow again. And I don't know when that was slipped in there because I don't, I don't remember seeing that. But uh, he said, that's God's grace. When you're at your lowest, when you're at your weakest, when you're furthest from God, maybe when you're at the bottom of that well, that's when his grace is present. It's never too late. And that's when you can feel his grace and when you know you have a destiny. And then he said, grace is what brings us closer to Jesus and further from sin. And I said, that's communion. That's our opportunity to become closer to Jesus and further from sin, closer to mercy, further from sin, closer to hope and further from sin, closer to peace and further from sin. That's what we have in communion. So come to the table today. 
The table of grace is what's awaiting you. And more important than that, the giver of grace is what's awaiting you today. So come and commune with him. Amen.